Hello and welcome to the latest episode of That Weekly Penenka Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Whiting, and on today's episode, I'm going to be joined by Laura Gates and Joey Camage. We're going to be talking about a wide variety of topics, ranging from Hawkeye and VAR to the coronavirus and the Premier League. So sit back, relax, grab a drink, grab a snack, as we'll be back with you in just a moment. Hello and welcome back. I'm now joined with Laura Gates and Joseph Camage. How are you both today? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Um, not really looking forward to tonight's game, but here we are. It, it could be worse. At least Liverpool can't win the league tonight. Yeah, that is literally the only saving grace in my eyes. Thank God for that. Absolutely made up the other night. And uh, we, we have had a last-minute substitution on the show. Unfortunately, one of our, uh, one of our co-hosts has, has pulled in injured. So uh, we've now got Joey Camage. Joey, how are you, mate? Not too bad, thank you. Uh, enjoying the football, the freedom of it all. Yeah, so it's really strange, the football being back on, on telly after those months out. Um, how, how are we all feeling about how the football's kind of been presented back on the telly. It's pretty relentless, not going to lie. Like, there's not a minute after 12am where there isn't a football game and until evening, and that's kind of weird. I, I've reached a point now where I'm kind of like, I get a bit sort of bored of it. I don't know if that's like the right word, but yesterday I just watched it all of them back to back and then it got to the Palace Bournemouth game and I went, I can't do this anymore. Like the thought of Palace Bournemouth was just not tantalising at all. I was like, this just can't, can't I can't. And, and I didn't. I just went and just put Netflix on and was like, I'm, I'm done for the day. Well, I sat down earlier to watch the um, Newcastle Sheffield United game. I'm like, I just can't be bothered. I've had too much. I'm, I've OD'd on football and I'm feeling very ill from it. And the games haven't been great either, not going to lie. It's been very telling these last few games, kind of who the top teams are and the fitness. Um, I've I've watched a few of the games. I've watched the Bournemouth game and the the Norwich game, um, and you can just tell that they're they're just not on the level of the Man Cities, um, and the well, we're still yet to see Liverpool play. But even Man United, Tottenham, you could see the standard was a lot lot higher. Um, and the professional fitness was a lot better. So it's, it's, it's been strange, but I'm quite happy it's back. Yeah, it's been a bit of a surreal sort of experience. I think like we've never sort of had this many fixtures and sort of like as thick and fast as they've come as well. Like it's all been like nonstop nearly since Wednesday. And it's kind of like, God, like how, it's like my days have been ruled over like, what games I'm watching and when they're on, I'm like, great, I don't even have to move because they're, they're on straight away after the, the first one. It's Like, it's great, um, but at the same time, it's a bit like, uh, as a match-going fan, um, watching it on the sofa is just not my preference whatsoever. Like, today, I would rather I would rather be at Goodison than, than sitting at home watching on the telly. You know, it's 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 very surreal. And like they've got the fan noise as well, and I know it's optional, but 
it, it just seems a bit odd. Like there are times, they try to time it and I get that it's never going to be perfect, but at times it is very comical. I mean, I can't remember who it was the other day, like I think we were talking about it amongst the group, but um, they hit the side netting and it was like a couple of seconds delay on the way, like thinking like, you know, celebrating it, thinking they'd scored a goal and whatnot. It just, it, it's quite funny how, how it comes across and it's just such a disconnect. Um, I think from like Sky and BT, et cetera, from the football and how fans feel about it. Um, I don't know how you, how you guys kind of, kind of feel about that. For me, the, the crowd noise, it's, it's taken away from the games more than it's added in some of them. You know, I, I was watching, it was one of the Sky Sports ones, and like you were saying, the comical timing, it was just horrendous. It was like they'd, they'd scored, and then 10 seconds later, you heard, hey! And it's like, right, I, okay, not really sure what's going on there. Don't really know how to feel about it at the moment. I, it feels very strange. I like it being back, um, but it does feel like it's too frequent and that it kind of clogs up your day. It, it's, it's just very strange to get your head around as well. Being, being someone who works at the ground, seeing an empty ground of which I would, would have worked in as well. It was, it was very odd. Um, yeah. How, how are you feeling about the Prem, Joey? Yeah, I think I'd feel a lot better if Norwich won as a Norwich fan because they put out a really awful performance. Uh, on the um, crowd noise, I think when nothing amazing is happening, it's really good. Like they're just passing it around, just the general like buzz sound is quite good. But as soon as someone like a player does a foul, they don't know whether to cheer or boo. And like at the end of one of the games, I think it was... Um, Tottenham Man United when there was a pen they put the cheering noise for the whole fat all the, all the crowd and at Tottenham that would not be the case it yeah. kind of takes away the fact that it's a home game and that was quite annoying I saw Twitter be a bit angry at that it's yeah, just bizarre I think, I think it comes down to that sort of disconnect between the fans and like how the media see it as like it's it's they're purely just doing it for for the people who are sitting at home obviously there are many of us watching it and I guess it is their way of trying to get us to feel involved, but I personally don't think it is being pulled off very well. I would, in fact, I actually prefer listening to like what the players are saying because we never really get that insight usually. So I think that's more intriguing to me than like some fake fan noise and, and fan cams. It's um, obviously like players um, have, they, they obviously have to communicate a lot while they're on the pitch and obviously managers and, coaching staff so I think it is it, it provides it provides different insight into the sort of goings on in in that regard yeah some of the highlights of being at games is hearing the players having goes at each other mm. like myself and my dad used to think it was absolutely hilarious when the player was being a bit rubbish and like they're all in in his ear about it it's just I, I do like that like listening to the crowd over that because sometimes it's like it takes away from the fantasy of it all. I mean, they kind of appear like they're actually humans again. And we're kind of made to not believe that. I must say my favourite bit of crowd noise actually came um, in the game between Brighton and Arsenal. And that was right at the end. 
when the when the skirmish was going on and that it just they were like, Oh, we need to put some noise here, so they just put booze out. And it's like let's face it, if there's like a mini fight going on, you're not booing, you you're yeah, go on. You know, because uh, when Doozy had a little grab of uh Mope's throat and then it was like instant <laughs> I was like oh god um, but it, it has yeah, it's been interesting to it certainly has been different so obviously yeah. with with the Premier League being back it has brought in a load of new rules and it has brought in a load of changes to the way a match day is feels not just for us fans but for the players um, so some of the rules that they've brought in are, are teams having to travel on the same day. Um, obviously, there's the five substitutions and uh, there's the kind of no handshake rule. I just wanted to touch upon a couple of thoughts from you both regarding those. The five substitution is weird because it has to be done in three blocks. So they've kind of tried to preserve the time-wasting element, the um, how it was, but taking the Arsenal-Man City game, they already used two of those blocks in the first half from injuries. And that just seemed like, well, why is this in place? Because Arsenal were then completely ruined for the rest of the game based off that. And the red card, obviously. But I was going to say on, on that same sort of note with the travelling, um, apparently, obviously, Arsenal didn't leave London until later in the day before travelling up to Manchester. And I think they, I believe they flew into Liverpool and then travelled up to Manchester from there. Um, it'd be interesting to know whose sort of decision that was to leave that late, to then sort of feel like, you know, you've got lesser time for a warm-up and things like that, given that they haven't played in such a long time. Yes, they've been training, but training and, you know, that sort of stuff is not, anywhere near the same level as a full competitive game. Um, and obviously it happened in quite quick succession, those two injuries for Arsenal. And I think that is sort of a question mark over like why those injuries have occurred and like who, who sort of decision it was to sort of leave so late in the day. And has that even had an impact or is it just the fact there has been that much of a break that are these are teams going to be seeing more injuries? Because there has been quite a few um, over the past couple of games. Um, so I think it'll be interesting over the next few weeks as these fixtures are coming so thick and fast, whether more teams will be picking up more injuries and how they're going to happen and whether they're sort of soft tissue and muscle injuries or more major like Leno. Le yeah, Leno's injury... That, that was a horrible injury. Um, it has brought quite a lot of meme value, though, unfortunately, uh, with, uh, with Leno mouthing off at Mope on the stretcher. I have seen that doing around on Twitter. Um, it's, it was a horrible injury. And I feel that there have been an awful lot of injuries and there have been an awful lot of teams that have looked unprofessional in their approach to returning to the Premier League. Um, Bournemouth, Norwich, just just to, to name a couple, Arsenal themselves, where players have looked absolutely shattered after 20 minutes. And it's like you're, you're a professional footballer. How are you letting yourself kind of dwindle away like that? 
I think um, that comes with like the whole match fitness idea, doesn't it? Like when you watch your teams play through preseason, the levels of fitness and match fitness, uh, like match fitness and fitness in general, I think are sort of two different entities altogether. So if you look at teams playing preseason friendlies and stuff, they're not at the levels they would be when they're playing through um, the actual competitive leagues and stuff. Um, so obviously that sort of improve like that you have so many preseason friendlies that then improves the match fitness and then you can sort of hopefully hit the ground running when your league does begin. But obviously we're in such a weird situation where this is meant to be a continuation of the 1920 season. However, in my mind, it's not. It's just a spin-off. It's not actually the season that we had prior to the lockdown. Um, it's new rules and everything. I just don't see how you can even make connect. So you look at like Sheffield United, who were obviously in such good form and people are, you know, hoping they're getting Champions League spaces or not, but they they've not exactly done the business, neither of Arsenal, who I kind of expected to do better. Um but it, it's I think it's gonna be a bit of a topsy turvy few weeks in terms of results but we know in football anyway anything can happen I just feel like particularly now there's more of an emphasis on that yeah it, it, it has been completely unpredictable I mean Joel Linton scored his first goal for Newcastle today let's face it nobody saw that coming um, as well as the result Newcastle have just beaten Sheffield United and, and like you said Sheffield United are one of those teams that I really Thought would kick back on, resume where they left off. Obviously, they were extremely unlucky against Villa. Um, that that is something that we will touch on later. Um, but it, it's really hard to kind of pinpoint where those teams are going wrong. Whether it is fitness, whether it's preparation, whether it is even the league giving these teams enough time to get ready. And all of these rule changes don't help. Um, some some of the rules, for example, I think, I think it's some of it as well comes down to like mentality. And I think it was Espirito Santos, the Wolves manager, who said one of the major things they focused on throughout lockdown is mental health. And I think that's probably one of the major factors in some of this as well. Um, like there seems to be some kind of disconnect with some of the Arsenal players amongst themselves and now I don't know if there is anything in this but obviously there's a lot of question marks over Aubameyang, um, Bournemouth has a questions over Ryan Fraser and how much of an effect does that have on the squad as a whole? Yeah Arsenal do look extremely fragile at the moment a lot of these teams are looking confidence ridden like they've just got no confidence and you kind of take that new start as a fresh. And for those teams, obviously, there are those background issues. Um, and I, I feel that you've got the the media coming back into it. You've got all these new rules. You've got all these regulations. And it's it doesn't help with those things. Um, a couple of the rules, obviously, have been no handshakes before or during the game. You've seen the elbow bump. There has been one manager that I've seen who has completely ignored that, and that is Nigel Pearson. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but at the end of the game, 
<laughs> like he wouldn't, I, I believe he wouldn't um, elbow pump Rogers. He just hugged him. And it's like, he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you a hug. Um, so it's, it's about enforcing these rules as well and how strict are the FA and the Premier League going to be with them? Because they're, they're obviously troubling people. And at the moment, we have, we've got a lot of issues in the world. And um, they're, they're all contributing to how people's mental health and, you know, confidence and stuff like that is, is especially whilst playing football, which is very much a confidence sport. Yeah. I think the hardest thing is going back, like for players going back and managers and coaching staff and everyone involved, sort of going back and being into that sort of scene that you're used to, you probably forget and they don't, I don't think they probably mean to, but while you're in the moment, it's what you were used to. So it's hard to kind of shake off those old habits. Um, And I think that may be a lot of it, to be honest. Like I, I haven't, I feel like players themselves have been a bit standoffish at times, like in terms of I've noticed first halves of games have been pretty dull. Um, and, and I don't know whether that is fitness and lack of playing time and just trying to get back into it again. Or if like players maybe are a bit like, this is so different. This is just like a weird setting or whatever. But there, just, there does seem to be a bit of a difference and whether or not, Obviously, Nigel Pearson giving a big old hug to Brendan is like, it's mates, they're mates, aren't they, at the end of the day? Like, they're just used to it. Whereas, like, we're on such a different side where our life is kind of flipped upside down at the moment, where we can't go out and see people to hug them anyway. But maybe if you were in that situation, you probably would be inclined to try and hug them. Yeah. And when you think about it, well, top footballers' lives probably haven't, changed that much obviously there's been this spell of not playing but from a social aspect or from an outside aspect a lot of players nowadays aren't going out a lot anyway just due to their their kind of superstardom um so that they're used to being at home in their spare time or or training with their team so that side of it probably hasn't changed um one one player who has made quite a big difference during this lockdown has been Marcus Rashford. The yeah, work he's hero. the work he's done has has been outstanding to change a government's perspective on uh on, on quite a big topic is outstanding. And uh it, it's something that really you think more footballers would try and challenge stuff like that to to in, to enhance their reputa- reputation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I guess there aren't that many issues that some per- footballers would find as personal as this one for Rashford. I guess that's the the, the fact. Fact is that he was someone who needed this when he was a kid, so he's using his position and his like power and influence to get this for everyone else. And it's like it's amazing how well he's done with it. And I, I think every every fan is like in awe of him at the moment. And hopefully it will spur other players on. That'd be ideal. I think some, like a lot of people always tell footballers to sort of, you know, stick to football. Like you, you, you don't have a right to talk about this topic. You shouldn't do this. Like what, what, who are we to tell another human being um, to, to not share their opinion or to help? He is in a position 
where he has such a massive platform. He's world-renowned and he has the money and the backing and everything else to be able to make a difference. And if footballers want to make a positive change to the world, then I'm all for it. They like People say football and politics don't go hand in hand and at the end of the day, they do. Um, but he, I, I saw that Marcus himself had tweeted earlier today that the, the figures they've had in from Fair Share UK, which is the charity fighting hunger, um, is now supplying 3.7 million meals per week to vulnerable people across the UK. And if that's the kind of effect one footballer can have, why should we stop them from doing such a thing? It's not like he's going out and causing drama or causing problems. He's not doing things he shouldn't be. He's not drinking. He's not smoking. He's not doing drugs. He's not in the news for, for negative reasons. He is genuinely making a life-changing difference to so many people. And a lot of people, I think, don't realise the effect of some of these issues that happen on our doorstep, really. Um, we often think of like hunger as something alien to us, but that's because it's not happening directly to us personally. Just because that isn't happening doesn't to you doesn't mean it's it's not there. And I think by highlighting that and bringing it to the attention and putting pressure on the government is by all means, go for it. I think any footballer should stand up for what they believe in. And that goes for people like Raheem Sterling, who's been fighting, you know, the kick it out and um, the whole no racism, which obviously is a hot topic at the minute. Yeah, I mean, it's um, the other footballers have done similar. It's like, I think to name a few, Sadio Mane and Didier Drogba, I remember. Like, uh, I think it was Drogba did so much in his home country, like building schools and such like. He was, I think he's a complete hero over there back at home. It just shows like they really they they have a lot of money. They do what they want with it, and some have chosen to do amazing things. It's clear how like possible it is to do that. Uh, another podcast that has kind of touched upon this is the uh, Louis Farouk one with Troy Deeney, um, which he very much alluded to in it. Troy Deeney that a lot of footballers do have these platforms, these charities where a big chunk of their wages do go. And uh, it's it's only kind of now that during these troubling times that everyone's in that that's kind of getting the recognition that it deserves. Um, a lot of players also don't like to publicise the fact that they're doing this. They don't like the attention. Um, but it, it, it is really good to see somebody like Marcus Rashford not only be a, a great representative for his team, but for the country as well. Um, he's a key player for the national team, and he's he's a big figurehead. He's and now he's he's going to be an even bigger figurehead within that dressing room. Um, so it, it's really really good to see him doing doing such acts. So another thing that we were going to talk about was Hawkeye and VAR. Obviously, in the Sheffield United Villa game, there was a huge incident where the ball crossed the line but it wasn't given due to a a technical issue with the watch um, for Hawkeye and the referee and and the linesman and the like. Um, Do we feel in a situation like that, that is is an instance where VAR should step in? For this one, 
I would have said no, because in this five, six years of having this goal line technology, however long it's been, there hasn't been one mistake like this. So from the ref standpoint, he would say, oh, this one's clear, just didn't cross the line. And there's no, he had, like, the ref on the pitch has no idea that something else is up. But like when you compare it to, say, cricket, every Hawkeye decision has the most in-depth angle, most like like everything is in super fine detail but this game had none of that didn't even have a picture of the ball crossing the line like they usually do and yeah i mean the watch went off the watch went off at half time which yeah. is absolutely outrageous i see I, I i disagree with joey there in the sense that if obviously we've got the technology in var why shouldn't it um why shouldn't we use it for those decisions um, and I'm I'm still confused as to why we never got to see the image of the ball over the line like we usually do. Is that because Hawkeye wasn't working, or I, is it because of how controversial it's going to make that decision? Um, and I don't understand how they could have the, how it becomes a fair game when at halftime the technology starts working and it's okay to use it in the second half. Um, I feel like Sheffield have been done, like have been shafted big time because obviously um, they're pushing for Europe and Champions League. That game is t- is pivotal at both ends of the uh, of the league. Um, teams around Villa could probably say, well, they've had that, they've got that draw that pro- probably wouldn't have been a draw in the end, or but could have been. We don't know. If Sheffield had gone one 0 up, it's a different game entirely. Yeah, that that is a pivotal pivotal decision within the game. Um, well, like you were saying about the image of the ball crossing the line, my my opinion on that is probably that um, Hawkeye didn't even detect the ball um, in that situation. They they said that there was too many players in the way, which it's something that I don't, I don't buy. If the um, if the technology is there to detect the ball, the players, that surely that's something that that should should have picked it. I I think it's probably just an error with it detecting the ball. Hence why the image could not have been, not have been created and kind of put out there. Um, VAR for me should step in there though. Um, VAR is to to make sure that goals are chalked off if there's a, a toe offside, if there's a, an armpit offside. So why could it not be brought into play? Is it like some unwritten rule that they mustn't make the other technology look bad? What's you know what's going on there? VAR should really step in, and uh, it's it's made the Premier League look like a joke. It's quite a good concept that because Villa went down the other end straight away, if Sheffield had fouled them in the box and the penalty was given, would VAR have gone all the way back to look at the goal? Because that was a few steps before. That... Well, yeah, you think, what, what happens if um, if one of the Sheffield United players goes in two-footed challenges for that ball five seconds after, and it's a red card for him? Do they look at the fact that, oh, wait a minute, the ball's actually in the net? Like where where do you draw the line? It's um 
it's it was, the line is drawn on the goal line isn't it <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you tell hawkeye that <laughs> <laughs> one more thing that i'd quickly like to touch upon before we wrap up is um obviously with football being back on tv is it too expensive are we feeling that it's too expensive for fans to watch i know an adult season ticket at Carrow Road is, I believe, about £500, £600, um, you know, which a lot of people would either pay outright or they'd pay monthly. Um, I'm subscribed to all of the online subscription services, so I pay £25 for BT Sport. I got an offer for 20 this month, but um, normally it's £25. You've got Now TV if you haven't got Sky Sports, which is £33 a month. Then Amazon Prime have got games, which is £7.99 a month. And then, obviously, you've got BT have got a few games, which, if you've got a TV licence, it's free. But obviously, well, it's not because you still have to pay for TV licences. So do we really think that, that channels and, uh, and broadcasters should be reducing their prices? during these times where perhaps people aren't as well off as what they would be. You've got people who are earning 80% of their wages. You've got people who have even been cut out from employment, no longer have a job and those prices haven't gone down. How, how do we feel about that? It's a lot. That's for sure. Um, now, I guess you're getting a bit more money's worth because all the games are on if you wanted to watch them, but the thing with these big companies is they will keep increasing the price as long as the demand is there. So it can only go up and that's the problem. Like personally, those numbers are ridiculous, but you can usually when it's not these sort of times is watch other things on them as well, possibly to get your money's worth. But at the moment it's daylight robbery. If you only plan to watch two football games a week, say. Yeah. I'm the same as Joey on that. It is supply and demand really, isn't it? Like so many of us, across the nation love football where if you're willing to pay that why would if people are paying that now why would why would they change it it's only going to go up and people are willing to pay that because they've got no other choice but I do think we are going to start seeing a shift in that in terms of like obviously this season we've had um, games on Amazon Prime which personally I've actually quite enjoyed um, and I think we will sort of not necessarily Netflix but like in the Netflix sort of format of that you can stream any game you sort of want for like a price monthly I think we'll be heading towards some kind of format in that respect um obviously at the moment I think the issue is that there are so many broadcasters that have different rights to different games and that's where the sort of prices go up for people like you can't just say oh I'm just going to get Sky Sports because all the games are on there. There's so many on BT, there's so many on Prime, there's so many on BBC. Like, it, that, that's when it starts to add up. But obviously there are, there, there's such a demand for it. Why, why would they make those changes? Um, I know, like, personally, I currently get um, three months for free on my EE phone contract for BT. So I've just signed up for that, and I'm not going to pay for it once. Um, once that's over, because that three months pretty much takes me through to the end of this season anyway. Um, 
But in terms of like football anyway, in general, it, it is pricing out fans. And ticketing is always a hot topic anyway. Um, personally, I find that Everton themselves are quite good. Um, I pay 380 for mine, uh, for my season ticket, which I think is a decent, decent price. Um, I know obviously those sort of top level clubs like Arsenal and City, they I don't even think City are too bad actually, but Arsenal in particular are always sort of they're the they're the club that are always picked out for like prices. But yeah, as as long as that demand is there, I don't think things will change. And as we know, football is supposed to be a working class game. But at the moment it's uh, in these modern times it's not exactly uh you know directed at the working class fan anymore. Yeah, they also these big companies, they are effectively in a bidding war of each other for every game. And like the amount that Sky Sports and BT have to splash out just to like own the rights to these games is already pretty obscene. So I guess that's partly why they have to charge us the watchers so much, just to cancel out the fact they're paying hundreds of millions for the rights to this. And unless rules come into place to make that go down, to get stop less like money going into football clubs, it will never change. Yeah, yeah, I I completely see where you're, where you're coming from in regards to that, and I think that's also why a lot of the um lot of the lower league clubs do struggle now. It's because they they may have uh one or two seasons in the championship, or if they're even lucky enough, the Premiership get um get kind of big pay packets from that, spend it and invest it in the club. Um, and then when they they have a drop off of form, that is kind of where they start to start to go down and where they really get in a rut. You look at a team like Bolton, um, you look at Berry, they're teams that have kind of fallen into that trap. Unfortunately, football is now just all about the money. Um, I I do think what people have to pay to watch football is unbelievably extortionate. You know, just the numbers that I just rattled off there, it's upwards of 60, 60 pounds, 70 pounds a month. I know you do get all the games um, at the moment, but even during the, the regular season, it is just a select amount of games. And uh, with, the, with the BBC, we are quite lucky that we do have something like match of the day. I'd quickly... Before we, we wrap this one up, just like to ask you, what has been your goal of the game week so far? Bam! Goal of the week. I was going to say um, more pay, probably. Just for the sheer, like, I, I felt like it was probably the closest, one of the closer games out of the ones we've had so far. And the, the sheer just audacity for like everything that you know unfolded and it was it's probably the most drama we've had since the return bam that was our goal of the week but there's so many from this weekend like i think it, who was it yesterday for wolves as well neto oh neto, neto that yeah, neto's finish was fantastic i think there's both three away crosses yeah you can pick any i think pretty much nearly any of the goals from the games just gone and and you got to shout for a decent decent finish really yeah. yeah well I think we're going to wrap it up there I'd quickly like to say a big thank you to Joey Camage and Laura Gates have you got any social media outlets that you'd like to plug before you go yeah the Penenka writes get on our website 
Yeah, you can go on our website at www.thepanenka.co.uk and you can also follow us at underscore the Penenka on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you haven't already, make sure you like our Facebook page. Um, in regards to the podcast, we have got some guests who will be coming on the show within the next couple of weeks. Very pleased to announce we've got um, the Brazilian Canary, um, who's got a very interesting story. And we've also got the Blue Van Man, the internet YouTube sensation, uh, who is a big Leicester fan. So they're two very exciting guests that we're going to have on the show. Um, but yeah, once again, thank you very much for listening. This has been That Weekly Penenka Podcast. Goodbye.